0: Today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad. be glad. Be glad in it. Amen. All right, so here's a question for you this morning. Get your brain waves flowing. What is the one thing you can't do without? I don't mean your spouse, I don't mean your children, I don't mean your family. What's the one thing You can't do without coffee. Coffee? (laughs) (laughs) Word, bro. (laughs) I wonder, for those of you who are retired, could you do without your retirement fund? For you tradesmen, could you do without your work truck? For you teenagers, could you do without your cell phone? (laughs) For you soccer moms, could you do without your minivan? (laughs) I worked hard on that joke. What is the one thing you can't do without? Let's take it to the next level. What if that was the one thing God asked you to let go of? See, we're going to read a story from the Bible today where that actually happened. There's this encounter with this young man of, of great wealth, and he encounters Jesus, and he has a lot of possessions. And he talks about all the great things that he does, and Jesus says to him this one thing. He says, you must sell everything. Is he saying the same to us? What does Jesus mean by this? See, these are, these are scary words to, let's just say it, Americans who are used to great wealth and great possessions what if Jesus calls us to sell everything today we're going to continue a sermon series we've called haunting as we look at these words of Jesus that kind of just sink into us they, 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 they cut deep into us they expose a lot of things about us would you please turn to mark chapter 10 as we look at the infamous story of the rich young ruler now this is such a famous story in the Bible it's actually found in Matthew Mark and Luke Matthew tells us that he's a young man. Mark tells us that he's a rich man. Luke tells us that he's actually a ruler. He has authority and power. He's the rich young ruler. We're going to read Mark's account today. Would you please turn in your Bibles to chapter, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. If you do use the Bibles we provide, that's great. Love that you do that. That's on page 1076. As you're turning there, would you hear the word of the Lord? Mark chapter 10. Verses 17 to 31. Now as he, meaning Jesus, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not... Defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, And they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brother's Or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now and this time houses and brothers, sisters, and mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is God's holy and profound word. Let's pray and we'll continue. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we do confess that you alone are good. No matter how hard we try, Lord, we, f- we fail and we fail again. But you are good and you love us still. And so, Lord, I would pray this day that you would send your Holy Spirit to lift us up now to hear the truth of your word, just as you sent your Son, that we might know you, your love, and have salvation in his name. And in the name of Jesus, we pray these things. And everyone said, amen and amen. So there are many lessons from this one story. We could preach this same story 52 times, 52 Sundays of the year, and pull out something different every single time. But the thing that I want to pull out here today that I think is most relevant for us here in West Michigan, here at Peace Church, would be this. Our faith is not about our good deeds, but about our good God. Our faith is not about our good deeds, but about our Good God. And listen here, for those of you who grew up going to Sunday school, you may be thinking this seems like base level Christianity and maybe not even worthy of getting up and coming to church for. But let me hit on a couple of things. Number one, these are the words of Jesus Christ that have echoed throughout the ages. We could camp out on this one story of Jesus for the rest of our life and still ever be learning more. But maybe even the more immediate reason why we're talking about these words today is that because of the increased secularization of our world, a works-based righteousness has returned to the church. Meaning that we think our salvation into heaven is based upon what we do, our good works. Our our righteousness is based on works, a works-based righteousness. That's creeping into the church, and I would say maybe even blatantly rampant in some parts. That there are people here who think that when they get to heaven, God's going to look at their life and say, let's see, were you good enough? Okay, you were. Come on in. That's not how that situation and that encounter is going to go, which, by the way, every single person in this room will confront one day. We need to understand that our faith is not about our good deeds, but about our good God. The man from our story, he was so wrong, but he thought that by keeping the commandments of God, because he thought he was a good person, he thought he was going to inherit internal life Or as the scripture says, and maybe we more commonly say, he thought he was going to be saved. So the first part of our our main point here, our faith is not about our good deeds. Three things from our passage that I want to draw out for us this morning. Number one, keeping the commandments does not mean you have faith. Secondly, keeping the commandments does not mean you have salvation. And thirdly, keeping the commandments does not mean you have joy. So first thing we're going to look at, number one, keeping the commandments does not mean you have faith. Let's look at these first section of our passage. Let's just zero in on verse 17 real quick. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking Jesus, what do I have to do to be saved? How do I get into heaven? This is the question I think we all ask in our hearts. Even those who do not believe in the afterlife, they still ask the question, what does it mean to be a good person, both myself and in society? Even the atheist thinks, what does it mean to be good or what does it mean to be worthy? And look at how Jesus responds, verse 18. And I was going to say, church, this is a great day to have your Bibles open. Verse 18, and Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Okay, this is an easy verse to twist and misunderstand. you got to put it in context. Jesus is not saying that he himself is not good. That's not the point of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is probing the heart of this man to see what he thinks about God and eventually his own salvation. And also Jesus is setting up something that he will come back to in a few moments. Jesus responds by pointing to the commandments. This is God's alone good, but let's see how you're doing on the commandments. Verse 19 and 20. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, this man said to Jesus, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Right here. This is a, let me explain what just happened here. This man responds by saying, Jesus, I've been a good person my entire life. I've kept the commandments. I've done what God says. I'm a good person. But here's the haunting thing that Jesus follows up with. And this goes for all of us. No matter how much good you do in your life, there is always more to do. No matter how good you think you are, there is still more good that you could be. You are never going to be good enough. I know that goes against the self-worth push in our world. But you have to understand that only God is good. If you want to talk about who's good and who's not, compare yourself to God, and we've always got room to grow. Jesus just exposed, and this is what you all have to understand, please. What Jesus just exposed was that this man's faith Was not in God. This man's faith was in himself and in what he had done. And let me tell you right now that's not faith, that's pride. That's pride. That's how this man responded. If you are asked about your faith and our response is all the good things that you do, that's not faith, that's pride. Because keeping the commandments doesn't mean we have faith. Clearly, it may mean we just have pride, which leads to the second thing that Jesus says that is so probing to our hearts. Keeping the commandments does not mean you have salvation. And Jesus, looking at him, notice this, notice this verse, people. Jesus, looking at him, what's it say? Loved him. He loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor. And you will come and have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. So this guy comes up to Jesus, asks how to be saved. And when Jesus all but gives him the answer that only God is good, this guy then responds and he totally botches the question. Only God's good. Let's see how you're doing. He says, no, I'm good. I am good. I'm good enough. I've kept all the commandments. And listen, Jesus does not get annoyed He does not get mad. He does not laugh at him. He doesn't create a meme to belittle him online. Jesus loved him. Everything Jesus says to him, people understand. Everything Jesus says to this man comes from a pure place of love. Not just in a general sense, but love towards this specific person. He loved him and was speaking to him. Not anger, not condescension, not even out of religiosity. What Jesus says, he says in complete Love. He says to this rich young ruler, He tells him, You lack one thing. We already know from our passage this man has great wealth. He has power and authority. He has a lot of possessions. So, what is the one thing he lacks? It's not more stuff, it's not following more commandments. The one thing he lacks from getting into heaven is Jesus. He has everything but Jesus which means he has nothing. Jesus is telling him you need me, but you have all this stuff in the way. So go drop off your stuff at the Goodwill store and then come and follow me because I'm what you need. Because keeping the commandments does not mean you have salvation. If it's truly eternal life that you want, if it's heaven you desire, if you want to be saved, then Jesus says you need to follow him. Because we need Jesus for salvation. And also we need Jesus for joy. Because keeping the commandments does not mean that you have joy. Disheartened by the saying, this man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Oh church, hear me on this. When we realize that being a good person, when we realize that being successful is not enough to get us into heaven, when we finally realize that, We'll realize how much joy we have missed out in our life because we've put our worth and our confidence in ourself and our stuff when so much joy is to be had if all of ourselves were just found in Christ. We think our material comforts, our nice cars and our vacations that we have worked hard for, we think that we have worth because of all that, add to the fact, oh yeah, by the way, we haven't murdered anyone. And now we think that we are good enough to get into heaven. And when we realize that it's not, we're going to realize we missed out on joy, too. A joy of the Lord. A joy of the Lord because you can steal my stuff, but you can't steal my joy in Jesus. In Jesus. Even as he loved this man he could see that all of this man's pride and all of this man's possessions were actually strangling him from what is truly good in this world and that is knowing and following Jesus. And what makes this story not just a story, but a tragedy, is that this man showed that he loved his stuff more than he loved his Savior. And if we were honest with ourselves, I would say there's a fair amount of people who can hear my voice right now who are in that very same camp. You think you're living the American dream, but you're actually living a biblical tragedy because you love your stuff more than you love your Savior. It's a tragedy because we place our worth and self in things, and all these things. Here, I'm going to tell you, everything you own is going to end up either burned or in the landfill. You think you got great stuff that your kids are going to want? Maybe. But you think their kids' kids are going to want this stuff? Only if it gets them something of value, and they're going to sell it. Everything you have will end up in the landfill. Everything. Where are you placing your worth? This story is all about finding and discerning where our faith truly lies and exposing our hearts and our life and seeing what are those things that keep faith from being central. What is the one thing that you can't do without that you would take over faith in Jesus? What is it? Identify it. And I guarantee Jesus is going to ask you to sell it. Give it away. Because it's keeping you from him and it's keeping you from joy. It's keeping you from faith, keeping you from salvation. And do not trust in your stuff or yourself. Because our faith is not about our good deeds, but about our good God. And so after this encounter ends and this man walks away all sad, Jesus turns to his disciples and he uses this moment to teach them something. And these words have echoed throughout eternity. He teaches us about God, about his plan for salvation, and what faith actually looks like. So a few things that we need to take away from this story. First one is this. Is that our good God warns us. He is warning us to let go of what is holding us back from him. Look at verses 23 to 25. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, oh, you guys didn't hear me the first time. Let me, let me say it again. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is warning us that wealth can be a roadblock to faith. But here's what I'm afraid that we are doing right now. Here's what I'm afraid that we are doing right now. We're thinking about the ultra-wealthy people. We're thinking about the, the Bill Gates and the Elon Musks of the world. How hard it is for them to get into heaven. My friends, I'm here to tell you right now, if you are a 21st century American, chances are Jesus is speaking about you. You have a material wealth that is absolutely unheard of in the history of the world. In the history of the world, when Jesus talks about the wealthy people, he's talking about us, how hard it is for us. If you've got a couple of vehicles and some money in the bank, you are doing far better than most people in the history of the world. You are the wealthy people throughout history. We are, I am too. He is speaking about us. Do not fall into the trap that he's thinking about someone else. You need to look in the mirror and know that Jesus is speaking to you right now. How difficult it is for us who are used to material comfort. How hard it is for us to enter the kingdom of God. Because in our heart of hearts, if Jesus asked you to sell everything, I wonder how many people in this room would actually do it who are self-proclaimed Christians. Now, thanks be to God, I don't think he is calling everyone to do it. But he is calling all of us to probe deep into our hearts and see what is that thing that's keeping us from him. What is that thing that we would choose over him? If we're not willing to get rid of it, then your life is a biblical tragedy waiting to happen, unfolding right now. So you think it's, you think it's hard for me to get up here and say things like gay marriage is against God's plan. That's easy to a group like this. What's hard is telling to a group like this, who is so used to material comfort, that that may be the very thing keeping you from a true joy in the Lord. From truly knowing what it means to follow Jesus. If we're not taking everything we have and placing it before the altar, asking God to use it for his glory. Again, I wonder if, if, if your American dream isn't actually a biblical tragedy. These are sobering words of Jesus. Jesus they are joyous words for those who know who Christ is. Our God is warning us to let go of what's holding us back from him. And, and there's a lot of debate on what Jesus means by this, the camel going through the eye of the needle. Some people are referring, well, the, the, the eye of the needle was a small gate in Jerusalem. And those who went through it who were on the back of a camel, they, it was a difficult passage. Whether Jesus is actually just using like a little metaphor about a camel actually going through the eye of a little metal needle. Or he's talking about some gate in Jerusalem, it, it doesn't matter. The point is, it is difficult for wealthy, materially comfortable people, it is difficult for them to enter the kingdom of God. Because it is so easy for those types of people to want their stuff more than they want their Savior. God, our good God, is warning us to let go of what is holding us back from him. And it's because God is calling us. Our good God calls us. He calls us to trust in him alone for our salvation. And they were exceedingly astonished. That means they were absolutely blown away. They couldn't believe what Jesus was saying. And then they said to him, well, who then can be saved? Like if the rich and powerful can't get get into heaven, well, who, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and he said, tell you right now, this is why I follow this guy. This is why I follow him right here, these words. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. Jesus is telling us there is nothing you can do to be saved. Sure, try. Sell all your stuff. See if that actually gets you into heaven. There's nothing good you can do. With you, it is impossible. When you stand before heaven and you try to bring your litany of all the good things you have done, and you think that's going to get you into heaven... That's not the case. He says, "With man, this is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God." My friends, are you hearing this? Jesus said, "It's impossible for us to be saved apart from God. Not our wealth, not our good works, but only the goodness of God." And Jesus says to this man, it says, if you, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to find salvation, then leave your stuff behind because your stuff is getting in between me and you. But I love this line, with all things are possible with God. Remember the context. You have to remember the context. Whenever we're reading scripture, if we want to be a biblically astute church, remember the context. Remember the context here. Jesus is speaking about salvation. And so what Jesus is saying here is that it's, it's Possible for anyone to be saved. This is beautiful. From the most vile of serial killers to that most ardent atheist in your family, God can save anyone. The question is are we doing our part to share God's truth and love and keeping our knees in prayer? Do you believe that God can do anything? Do you believe that God can save anyone? I certainly do. Which is why I get up here day in and day out and trying to remind whoever's willing to listen that there's a good God in heaven who's calling you unto himself and he has paved the way through Jesus to make that happen. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So church, remove the things that keep you from the God who loves you because our good God warns us, he calls us, and he promises us. Our good God promises us that what we lose physically we'll gain spiritually both now and forever. Hear me on this. For people like us who assume, we just assume a material comfort. We just think that's part of everyone's life. We forget how amazing this is. We We assume a material comfort. And because of that, we've lost perspective on our own wealth. We forget how rare this is in all of human history. We assume comfort. We've lost perspective. Add to that a sense of entitlement, and it is hard. It's hard to recognize ourselves in what Jesus is saying. And it'd be very easy to mishear what Jesus is saying here with this. Hear me. Jesus is not promising that every dollar you give to the kingdom of God, you'll get back tenfold in this life, or a hundredfold. He's not promising that. He's not promising that if you give up your little house here, that... In just a little bit amount of time, you're going to get a house on Martha's Vineyard. Jesus is not saying, what you give up, I'm going to give you back tenfold physically. He's speaking spiritually. Let's read our verse again and try to understand the beauty here. Peter began to say to him, see, Jesus, unlike this other guy that just left, we, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake, and for the gospel, and for the gospel. I love that line, we'll come back to that. And for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, by the way, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So a few things here. I love how Jesus clarifies That what we are to do for Jesus, we are also doing and for the gospel. And the gospel. Say those words with me. And the gospel. Okay, let's let's try that again. You got it now. Uh, You got the words down. Let's say it with some heart now. And And the gospel. Self-proclaimed Christians in the house. Do you know Jesus? And can you articulate the gospel? If someone asks you, what do you believe, and you say you believe in Jesus, and they say, what about Jesus, could you articulate the gospel? Because it's not just the idea of the man, it's, his, it's himself and his message. His message that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die on a cross for our sins so that whoever believes in Jesus, believes that Jesus died and rose again, When we believe that and we place our faith in him, then we have salvation and eternal life. It's a simple message. Our good God calls us to trust in him and him alone for salvation, to trust in the gospel, knowing that our salvation is free. That's why it's called grace. Grace is something that we cannot earn or buy. Our salvation is free, but hear me, it still may cost us something. It may cost us relationships with family or friends For some of us, God may actually call us to leave our house and go on missions. To leave an old life, to leave an employment that we can no longer in good conscience do. Because when we believe in Jesus, he does call us into a new life. But this doesn't mean that we are left empty. Rather, our good God promises that what we lose physically... For his sake and for the gospel, we'll gain spiritually both now and forevermore. If we are called to lose our family over the gospel because they are rejecting us, Jesus says we get a new family in the church. That our wealth is not found in material possessions anymore, but it's found in the joy of the Lord, and that's worth a hundred times more than any worldly physical possessions. But a lot of us, we can't even begin to grasp that because we're so clinged to our material possessions. And it's choking us. And what more, all the material things that you have in your life, listen to this, all the material things you have in your life, you're going to leave those behind one way or another. You're going to leave those behind one way or another. And Jesus says, if you leave them now, I'm going to give you something spiritually that you can not only have now, but you actually get to take with you when you go to glory. I don't know how anyone would not want to follow Jesus. What he's done and what he promises, I'm sorry, the world's got nothing. Nothing. Nothing compared to him. Christians in the house, you need to understand the point of this story is not that everyone is called to sell everything to become Christians. Following Jesus is not about getting rid of everything, but it is about being all in for the gospel. That what we have, we use for the glory of God. Because when we do that, when we lay it before the altar and we use it for the glory of God, then that stuff can truly bring us joy as we see God use it for his glory. I want to say this again because this is so important to the story, especially for American ears. The point of the story is not that everyone is called to sell everything to become a Christian. Following Jesus is not about getting rid of everything. Following Jesus is about being all in for him. Unfortunately, though, based on what Jesus is saying here, very few people will truly recognize this. But a 28-year-old man by the name of Jim Elliott knew this. Jim Elliott truly did sell everything. In the 1950s, Jim Elliott had a promising future, being a regular, standard American. But he left his life he left his American life to become a missionary, to share the gospel with the unreached tribes of Ecuador in the 1950s. And after months of, of, of making peaceful contact with this one certain tribe, on one visit, warriors from this tribe killed Elliot with spears and his fellow missionaries, and they threw their bodies in the river. Later, Jim Elliot's journal, his personal and private journal, was found. And written inside his journal, his private journal, were these words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot not only knew his Savior, but he trusted in the promises of his God. And Jim, right now, is experiencing the fullness of those promises in the glory of heaven. See, the young man from our story today... The young man who encountered Jesus in our story, he was a fool. He chose his stuff over his Savior. Jim Elliott was no fool because he gave what he could not keep to gain what he could not lose. Christians in the house, when people read the story of your life, will it sound more like the rich young ruler or more like Jim Elliott? More like someone who loved their stuff More than their Savior, or someone who knew the value of Jesus and laid everything they had at the altar for God to use? When you die and people read the story of your life, what will they read? Someone who built their life on Jesus or built their life on their own fleeting wealth? Who built their life on their own pride, on their own possessions? When people look at your life, what will they read? Because when people look at our faith, they need to be reminded that our faith is not about our good deeds, but about our good God. And everybody said, Amen.